0: Well, we're starting a new series tonight entitled Praxis, and to just kind of get us pointed in the right direction, we want to share this brief video with you from the Bible Project.
1: The story of the Bible begins in a garden where God and humans live together.
2: And the biblical authors want us to see this garden as a type of temple. The top is the most sacred place, the holy of holies, where God's presence is most intense. And that is where we find the tree of life. So, what is this tree all about? Well, it represents God's own life and creative power that is made available to others. In fact, God's first command is that humans eat from all of the
1: trees, including this one. So you are ingesting God's own life. That sounds intense.
2: Yeah, this meal transforms the one who eats it. Or in the words of the story, it leads
1: to eternal life. Okay, but on the way to the tree of life, the humans have to pass by another tree called the tree of knowing good and bad. And God says that eating from this
2: tree will kill you. How does it do that? Well, it represents taking the authority to do what is good in your own eyes. And When humans do that,
1: It leads to broken relationships, violence, and death. And
2: so here's the thing. Both trees look beautiful, but one of them is a false tree of life. And the humans take
1: from this false tree of life. And they're exiled from the garden for good. Which raises the question can anyone ever get back to the tree of life?
2: Well, later on in the story, we meet a man named Moses, and he encounters God in a desert tree on top
1: of a mountain. Oh, you mean the burning bush? Where Moses is told that he's standing on holy ground.
2: Yeah, it's a plant on a mountain radiating with God's life and power, just like the tree of life. And
1: God tells Moses, Bring your people up to this mountain so
2: we can form a partnership. And this partnership will force them to make a choice Will they follow gods of their own making or receive life from the true God? And in this story, they give their allegiance to an idol. And it's just the first of many. The story goes on to show generation after generation choosing <laughs> gods of their own making. And these idols were usually placed on tall hills like beautiful trees. But they're false trees of life that lead the people into self destruction,
1: exile, and death. It's like death's grip on us is too strong to resist. Is there any hope? Well, let us turn now to the story of
2: Jesus. He came to announce that God's eternal life was available once again through him. So Jesus thinks of himself as the tree of life. Yes, this is what he meant when he claimed to be the vine that brings God's life into the world.
1: And Jesus invited people to eat from him.
2: Yeah, he was inviting people to trust him and be transformed by his life. But Jesus also exposed how corrupt humans are, how much they love false trees of life. And so Jesus presented people with a new choice between life or death. And this time,
1: they don't just choose death. They also chose to attack the one who sustains
0: all life.
2: Yes, Jesus is led up to the top of a hill where he dies upon a tree. The cross is the sad and violent result of humanity's desire to do what is good in our own eyes. The tree of life has been overcome by the power of death. Well, it seemed that way, but Jesus said that he was a seed of God's life that would die in the ground, but then grow into a plant that would bear much fruit. So, to defeat death, Jesus went through it. And now, this new tree of life stands before us all. We can eat from it, but it will mean passing through death like Jesus, allowing
1: our old way of being human to die. So that a new humanity can grow in its place.
2: Yes, Jesus said he is the vine and we are his branches. So not only do you eat from this tree, you are invited to become a part of it, helping produce its fruit so that his life and love can spread through us to others. And So the story of the Bible ends in a new garden which is also a kind of temple, with the tree of life at its center, providing healing and life forever to all who choose to eat from it.
0: It's good, isn't it? If you're not familiar with the Bible Project, they have their own YouTube channel, and I'm a big fan of their content. A lot of it's I think all of it is animation. Uh, so it's kid friendly, but it's really good stuff. I, I, I love the simplicity of so many of their videos. They're such rich content, but at the end of the day, right it's presenting us with this choice is we're either going to choose God's way or our way. N- none of us walking out under the parking lot are going to face different trees that we're supposed to eat from. but the same choice is still waiting there for us as we go about our lives is how will we live? This, this series entitled Praxis, let me, a lot of tonight is really setting up where we're going to be going together. It's going to take us through almost all of September, right up until the, 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 uh, the, second, the next to last week and right before that fifth Saturday. But let me start by giving you this statement. It says, you and I must decide what we believe is waiting for us after we die. Because what we believe about that day should ultimately determine how we live out our lives between now and then. So for each of us, we're on a timeline, right? This, this, this moment in time represents a, a point in the history of our lives. If you're older like me, 56, then we're, we're into our timeline a little bit further, maybe from than others. The, the children that went out for workshop, right? They're way back there on their timeline. But all of us No matter how old or how young, our timeline has an endpoint to it that's predetermined by God. And as we move through time, the Bible says when we come to that day and take our last breath that we're going to have to stand before him and give an account for the life that we live. Now, if you believe that like I believe that, it should be instructive. It's sobering, but it's also inspiring because it says to me that as I move back through the timeline of my life, I know what's waiting for me and it should motivate me based on how I live and the choices that I make, especially the ultimate choice of am I going to live my life my way or am I going to live it God's way? The simplicity of that video, the choice that we have. So we like a little participation here at City Life Church. And so when, when you think about stories in the Bible, maybe that you grew up reading, or maybe stories that are new to you, if you are come to faith later in life, when you think about people in the Bible who chose God's way, what are some words that come to mind that describe their life? So people in the Bible that chose God's way, chose to be obedient, what are some words that come to mind? Anybody on the side here? A word that describes yes, ma'am. Say that again. Deceitful. If they chose to not choose God's way, yep, yep. Somebody else. Somebody else. Stephanie. Surrender. Right. Yeah, it takes surrender, doesn't it? Because we have our own desires, and so surrender. Somebody else. Dying to self. Come on, you guys are good. Somebody in the middle here. Anybody in the middle? Everybody's like, don't look at me. I don't have anything I want to say. Brentley. Mostly calm, but slightly agitated. Yes. No, it's good, right? Because when we we choose God's way, sometimes it puts us on a course of action that we would not have otherwise chosen, and it's hard. That's very good. I like Brentley's participation. Come on. Somebody else. Somebody over here in the back. Penny. Freedom. Yeah, liberty. The liberty that comes. Even if it's a hard path, there's a sense of freedom that we find in choosing God's way. Yes, ma'am. Faith, yes, it takes faith. Come on, somebody else, anybody else? All the way in the back. Resilience, yes, that's a good one. I like resilience. Struggle, Struggle? yes. It's interesting, isn't it? The words that people share, and I, and I think that they're all true. That, that some of the words that we think of when we choose God's way, there, there's a hardship, but that hardship always leads to a place of goodness. It always leads to a place of resilience. It always leads to a place of freedom. Paul has a lot to say about this choice. And he has a lot to say about the difference between choosing our way and God's way. He has a lot to say about what it feels like and the experience that we have when we do it in this life, which is the representation of the words that you just shared. But he also has a lot to say about what's to come on that day of judgment based on whether or not we chose our way or chose God's way. So let's read this chunk of scripture together. It's in Romans 2. I'm gonna start in five, and there's gonna be two slides, and we're gonna work all the way to verse 11. It says, because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers, and then jumping to the next verse. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth, and instead live lives of wickedness. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps doing what is evil, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. But there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good, for the Jew first and also for the for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. Now let me point out a couple of things before we talk about the difference between the two choices. One is the underlying portions here, right? He will, there will be, and there will be. Paul doesn't leave any room for a question. He says, hey, this is coming for all of us. He doesn't say, maybe I think he might, or I think there's the possibility that he could, right? Paul is saying with certainty and with a demonstrative language, this is waiting for all of us. Let me point out, too, just that difference there between Jew and Gentile. You have to remember, when you travel back in time 2,000 years to the Christian church, they, most of them were Jews who became Christians, and they understood the world through two filters. You were either Jewish or you weren't. And everyone else was a Gentile. And so when you read in the New Testament, when it talks about to the Jew first and then to the Gentile, it's not because of favoritism. And Paul gives that by way of clarity here. does not show favoritism. What, what he's saying is, is that, that because Jewish people had the Mosaic law and the revelation of who God is, there's, there is a responsibility they had for the knowledge that they carried. And so that's what Paul is doing there to remind us. Paul is saying judgment's waiting for us, but then he gives us this list of words that differentiate between those who choose God's way and those who choose their own way. Now, now, let's just pull those words out of the text and look at them briefly just for a moment. Glory, honor, immortality, and peace. See, a lot of times when we were reading the Bible, there's so much that's being said. We can miss sometimes the pieces that God has planted in there for us. God wants us to understand that when we choose his way, that there are good things that are waiting for us, even though there's the acknowledgement that it might be hard to choose his way, even though it means sacrifice, even though, as Brentley said, we might feel agitated at times. The, th- what's waiting for us, though, as we work through the surrender, there's good things that are waiting for us, glory, honor, immortality, and peace. Now, Now, Paul is saying, not only is there a measure of those things can we experience here in this life, but on that final fateful day, there is a judgment that's waiting for us. And for eternity, these are the kinds of descriptions that Paul gives us for what eternity will be like for us if we choose God's way. Now, let me take those words, and then let me just break out the definition of each of them, but let's do it all collectively together. Let's put that slide up, right? When you take all those words and break them out in their own definitions, this is an incredible list, magnificence, excellence, majesty, dignity, reverence, deference, status, achievement, perpetuity, which means forever, right? Pure, sincere, imperishable, incorruptible, tranquility, harmony, prosperity, felicity, security, and bliss. The language of the Bible is important. God wants us to know that good things come when we choose His way. It's it's like a teacher. Any teachers in the room? Is Sabra in here? The Sabra's in the back, Scotty's in the back, Jennifer's in the back, right? Teachers, if at the beginning of the year you gave your students all the questions to all the tests that you're gonna give them. And not only that, but you also gave them all the answers. You 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 give them all the questions to all the tests. On the first day, you say, Hey, we're gonna be taking tests throughout the year. Here are all the tests that we're gonna take. And here are all the answers. I'm not going to tell you exactly when the test is going to come, but this is my promise is you're going to have all the time that you need to be ready. Like, this is what God has done for us with Scripture. He, he's told us, hey, there's going to be a test in the end. On, when we die and we stand before him on the day of judgment, through scripture, we're, we're, we're told all the things that he's going to be talking to us about, and he's given us all the answers in advance. We don't know when that day's coming for us, but you know what he said to us? He has said to us that you're going to have all the time that you need to be ready. The, the question is, with the life that we have, the days that we've been given, with the days that we've been given, are we making ourselves ready for that day? Now, Paul here in his text, in his teaching, he also gives us the alternative because he wants us to know that there's a consequence, right? There is a prize when we choose God's way, but there's also a consequence when we don't. Now, look at these words that he gives to us. Terrible punishment, anger, trouble, calamity, and wrath. Now, if we combine all of these words, what's the definition we get? That. Yeah. Right? Right? Even if we had the kids that ran out for workshop, right? You don't have to be educated to understand the difference between these two lists, right? Even if we put these little kids in here right on the front and we showed them these lists, they're going to recognize enough of those words to understand that one is really good and one is really not. Jesus wants us to understand what's waiting for us. And he and he wants us to live our lives in such a way where we're preparing for that day. And these in the promises that he gives us, the prizes that are offered to us, go back for me, Eve, can you go back two slides for those? Two slides. There you go. Magnificence, excellence. Majesty, dignity, reverence, deference, status achievement perpetuity, pure, sincere, imperishable, incorruptible, tranquility, harmony, prosperity, felicity, security, and bliss. We, we deserve none of those things. Even if we always choose God's way, we deserve none of those things. In some ways, right, if we pause just for a moment, it's almost as though this list is describing Jesus himself. But then he says to you and to me, if we choose his way, he's willing to share in all of that with us. It's an incredible promise. It's an incredible promise. Let's go to Matthew 16, 24 to 27. Jesus had a few things to say about judgment himself. We, we, we see that Paul, it's a central message to all of his letters that he wrote to churches throughout the world 2,000 years ago. And then in the four gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that, that record for us the teachings in the life of Jesus, we find that he had a lot to say about judgment too. Many of his parables had to do with the judgment that would one day come. This is Matthew 16, 24 to 27. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower... You must give up your own way and take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Here it comes. For the Son of Man, that's Jesus, will come with his angels and the glory of his father and will judge all people according to their deeds. Now the last part of that verse sounds really similar to what Paul said, doesn't it? Because what the phrase that Paul uses is according to the things that he has done. Now, when we dig a little bit deeper into the language, what we find is that Paul uses a different word for deeds than Jesus does. Paul uses the word ergon and 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 Jesus uses the word praxis, and, and we're, and we're going to dive a little bit deeper into that in just a few minutes. But Jesus picks up on the same themes that we see in Romans 2. There's a slide that's going to come up that says to us, hey, there's a judgment that's waiting for us all. We see that there's the same theme is picked up, that we're going to be judged according to our deeds, the things that we have done, the life that we have lived. And Jesus agrees with Paul and says the stakes are high. We either gain everything or we lose it all. There's nothing in between. The judgment that is awaiting us can either be something that causes us concern or it could be something different. See, I think one of the reasons why biblical, the biblical narrative talks so much about judgment is that God's not trying to create fear in us. I think what he's trying to say is that there is a great moment of celebration that can be waiting for you and for me in the end, and he's trying to get us ready for it. So you might be saying, Fred, you're you're talking a lot about deeds, and it's making me a little bit nervous because maybe you're asking the question, am I saying? So are we saying that access to heaven is based on deeds and works that we do? And if you've been a part of this church for any amount of time, you know that we would say to that, absolutely not. That we know that our deeds don't give us access to heaven. So if that's the case, why does Paul, why does Jesus so spend so much time talking about the deeds that we do? Let me share this thought with you. Whenever the Bible appears to contradict itself, we haven't found a mistake in the Bible, On the contrary, the Bible has found a mistake in our understanding. Let me say that again. Whenever the Bible appears to contradict itself, we haven't found a mistake in the Bible. On the contrary, the Bible has found a mistake in our understanding. Now, You might say, well, Fred, where's the rub? Where's the tension? And the tension is that there are some other verses in the Bible that seem to tell us something completely different than what Paul and Jesus just said, doesn't it? let's look at this verse here. This is Jesus himself, the famous verse in John 3, 16. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. There's nothing in this verse about deeds. There's nothing in this verse about doing good things. And yet this is the same person in Matthew 16 that says that judgment when it comes is gonna be according to our deeds. Let's go to the next one in Ephesians. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done, so so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece, and he has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago the author of Ephesians, this letter to the church of Ephesus, guess what, is the same person that wrote the letter to the church of Rome. Here we see Paul. Seemingly, although he pulls the idea of deeds in the end, it's, it seems to be saying two different things. Is, is heaven promised to us by grace, or is something about our deeds determining our access to heaven? You know, for us as a church, if you're visiting, maybe you've been onto our website and we have there right in the, just scroll down, which we say is our message because we want people to understand that we're a, a gospel-centered church. And the, the central message of this church is that I am at one with God, rescued from myself, just as if I'm perfect because Jesus paid it all. We, we believe that heaven can only come to us by the grace that is afforded to us through Christ. But in this series, we cannot ignore that the deeds that we do matter. We cannot ignore that the choices that we make still make a difference. Let me share this thought with you. Being judged by God is waiting for all of us when we die. This is what I believe. And we are judged first regarding whether or not we have embraced the gospel, right? The, The welcome home moment that we just talked about with each other. Have we made a vow of devotion to Christ? Have we put the full weight of our lives on Christ? The first judgment determines our eternity, heaven or hell. But then, even though heaven is promised to us, we still have to give an account for our lives regarding what we did with the salvation that God has given to us. See, if we're not careful, this, this, this gift of salvation that we are freely given It can give us a sense of permission to now live our lives however we choose because now it doesn't matter. Now, I'm a firm believer. You you can't sin your way out of the grace of God. But the Bible works really hard. Jesus and all the leaders of the early church that followed in the first century recognized that that temptation of humanity was present then and it's certainly present today that even though heaven is promised to me based on the grace that is afforded to me through Christ, that God wants to talk to us about what we did with that grace that was afforded to us. The choices that we make, the lives that we live, when we're on this timeline and we come to that moment where we breathe our last, you and I are going to stand face-to-face with our creator and he's going to talk to us about how we lived the life that we lived, the choices that we made, the deeds that we have done. I believe every person has purposes in this life. I don't think you just have one. Even if I think about my life, I think I have a, I have a manifold purpose. I have a purpose as a husband. I have a purpose as a, as a father. But one of my purposes in this life, I believe, is, is to be a pastor, and I believe that one of my greatest responsibilities as a pastor of City Life Church is, is to get you ready for that conversation, right? It is that knowing that you one day are going to stand before God and give an account for your life, one of my responsibilities as a pastor is, is one, is, is, is certainly that you would not get to heaven and go, I didn't know this was going to happen, right? I want to be the, like the teacher. Gives you all the questions gives you all the answers, and then gives you the promise that God has afforded to all of us that we're going to have all the time that we need to get ready. But it's our responsibility to put our lives to work to be ready for that day. And one of my great responsibilities as a pastor is to come along beside you and your family to make sure that you are as ready as you can be. If I could distill it down into one simple statement, it would be this. Do you know Jesus, and are you becoming like him? Do you know Jesus, and are you becoming like him? Now, if you've been paying attention tonight, maybe you would say, Fred, I, it seems like your statement should be a little different. It, it seems like your statement should be, do you know Jesus, and are you doing good deeds? Right, If you're following along with the text that we've been reading as we're merging them together, maybe it seems like the the more appropriate question was, do you know Jesus and are you doing good deeds? But I think this last part is really the essence of what both Paul and Jesus were talking about. Because it's not just about doing good deeds. It's about doing good deeds because of the person that we have become. This series is entitled Praxis because... Praxis is the word that Jesus uses for deeds. When Jesus in in, in that text is giving his sermon 2,000 years ago, and he says that the Son of Man and his angels will come and and judge people according to their deeds, in, in the Greek it's the word praxis. Now, when Paul was writing to the Church of Rome, and he says that we're going to be judged according to the things that we have done, he uses a different word. He uses the Greek word ergon. Now, both of these words are similar. Maybe you could think of them as cousins, but they have very distinct meanings. Ergon is more of a generic term. Ergon just means anything that is done. It's, it's, it's just about as generic as any word that you can imagine in the English language that's just a catch-all for everything. And then you've got to use context to figure it out. That's ergon. Praxis is a little bit different. Praxis means deeds, but it also carries with it a strong connotation pointing to the kind of person that is doing those deeds. How many of you know that there are lots of people that might be doing good things, but it doesn't mean that they're a good person? See, you, you can do good deeds, but it doesn't mean that they're flowing from a person who is good. And, 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 and what Jesus wants us to understand is that I don't just want good deeds to flow from your life. I want good deeds to flow from your life because they characterize who you are. See, because good deeds don't make us good. That's why Paul uses the word that he's using. He's trying to help us to understand your good deeds don't make up for a bad heart. Jesus pulls in this word praxis because he's saying to us, your deeds should flow from who you are. Your deeds don't define who you are, they don't make up for the lack. But when we put the full weight of our lives on Christ, when Jesus is born inside of us, good deeds should flow from our lives like a waterfall as an expression of who we are becoming. Jesus is interested in good deeds because the good that it does, most certainly. But he's more concerned about good deeds because they are a reflection of who he is inside of us. We're not saved by our deeds, but if we are saved, our deeds should certainly reflect it. Praxis is an important word that's a part of our church. Praxis is an important word for what we believe about Christianity, I do not work my way into heaven. Jesus worked my way into heaven on my behalf. But when I get to heaven, God's going to talk to me about the works that I did, the choices that I made, the life that I chose. We have 24 virtues that we teach here at City Life. This little booklet that's entitled Praxis has been a part of our church for a long time. This series is going to do a deep dive into this. I wanted to start tonight by talking about this idea of judgment because we want to set the motivation for why it matters to begin with. But at the end of this book, we have a list that are called the 24 Virtues, and we're going to pick up with this next week that talks about where this list comes from. But, But I want to read these 24 words to you, because together we believe that they form the perfect picture of the character of Christ. In fact, we like to say if these words were paints, that it would create the perfect portrait of who Jesus is based on his character. Authentic just being genuine in our thoughts and actions. Content is being satisfied with what I have and at peace with where God has me. Hospitable is being friendly and welcoming to others in word and deed. Truthful is being honest and forthcoming. Persevering is enduring despite difficulty. There's wise is being discerning and sound in decision-making. Hopeful is being encouraged and confident because of my future with Christ. Loving is choosing to show care for those around us. Joyful is expressing an overflow of gratitude regardless of circumstances. Peaceful is living in harmony with others. Patient is waiting without complaint. Kind is showing consideration for others. Gentle is having a calm and tender presence. Faithful is being loyal and trustworthy. Humble is promoting God above ourselves. Grateful is being thankful, motivated by God's grace. Merciful is living with compassion and tenderness. Honorable is having integrity in all things. Principled is finding the basis of our morals and ethics in Scripture. Selfless is elevating others above ourselves. Fervent is having a passion and zeal for God's calling in our lives. Forgiving is being willing to pardon others when hurt or offended. Let me read that one again. Forgiving is being willing to pardon others when hurt or offended. Believing, just two more, is placing confidence in God. Self-control is showing composure and restraint. It's an incredible list, isn't it? They come from what we call the five great growth lists of Scripture. Those virtues, painting the picture of who Christ is, but also painting the picture of who we're supposed to become. That when we make a vow of devotion to Christ and we've been born into his family, we believe that Jesus comes alive inside of us for many reasons. But for one of them, is to change who we are. Just like pointing back to that video by the Bible Project, when we eat from the fruit of the tree of Jesus, that he freely extends to us, that he begins to change who we are on the inside. Twenty-four virtues. I'm going to invite the keys to come back up. You know, we had our first pancake breakfast for kids not too long ago—a new tradition for our church. And at the end of that pancake breakfast, because there were balloons everywhere, Vanessa was going around and 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 giving balloons. She had them in a, a big bundle; she had gathered them up. She was giving the balloons to 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 all the kids. And so she got to the to the Muro family—they're out of town this weekend. But if you know. Uh, Cam and Jen Miro and their three precious kids she she got to their family and as she was giving them the balloons she went to hand one to Jerry who was their oldest and, and Jerry said you know she said no thank you she said i'm just going to share mine with my sister because i don't think there's enough balloons for everyone come on i'm 56 i'm not even i think i'm taking my balloon you you with me right if we're honest with ourselves When somebody's giving out free stuff that we want, how many times in that moment are we trying to figure out if there's enough for it? But here she is, this precious little girl. No, thank you. I'll just share mine with my sister because I don't think there's enough for everyone. So Vanessa keeps walking around the room and handing out balloons. But when she was done, she came back to Jerry. She got down on one knee and pulled her aside and her Cam was, was standing right there. And she looked at Jerry and she said, what you did earlier is an incredible thing. The, to, to be able to see that other people had a need and you were willing to give something you wanted for them. I'm so proud of you, right? And just Vanessa just began to speak good things over her life. But, but, you, but you if oh, if we'd had a camera, right? Because the prize was the expression on Cam's face. You tracking with me the the expression on the face of the father being proud in a good way what his daughter had chosen to do if you've grown up in the church like me we have been told our whole lives that on this day that we face judgment with our Creator we're all longing to hear him say to us well done my good and faithful servant but I've been thinking about that in a different way all week because my whole life I've thought about wanting to hear him say that to me for how that's gonna make me feel. But I'm not sure that's what it's all about. Could, could it be this life that we've been given to live? Could it be that all of the teaching that the Bible gives to us about the judgment that's waiting for us? Could it be that the reason why? all the questions and all the answers to the test have been given to us ahead of time. Could it be that the reason why he promises us that we're gonna have all the time that we need is that in that moment when we step into that conversation, that we bring to him not just a life of devotion to Christ and step into eternal life because of the grace that we've been given, but could it be that we've been given the opportunity to give to him a life full of good deeds? And could it be the greater gift is not hearing him say to me, well done, my good and faithful servant for how that makes my heart feel. But could it be that he's given us the opportunity to give a gift back to a perfect God? Could it be that we have the opportunity to give him the gift of a glad heart? Could it be through the life that I live, I present that back to him as a gift for the salvation that he has offered to me? Stand with me. Father, as we work our way through this series, I pray that you would, you would light a fire in our hearts. Maybe for people that are watching and listening tonight, maybe there's maybe maybe these past few months or maybe these past few years that indifference has settled in. I, I, I pray that you would just chase that indifference right out of their hearts. I I pray that there would be a flicker of a flame that would begin to glow, an ember, and that you would fan that flame. That if we have put the full weight of our lives on you, Jesus, that we would recognize tomorrow for what it is, another opportunity for the good deeds that you have created for us to do, to build that gift that we can give back to our Father on that fateful day. And for those that are here, part of this service, whether they're in this room or watching online, that as they look back over the story of their life, if they can't find a moment in time where they've made a vow of devotion to Christ, I pray they would find it now. That at the end of the service, they would be able to make their way down and pray with somebody that's here at the altar. If they're watching online, they would click that button and go into a private chat room with one of our hosts to talk more about what it means to be a devoted follower of Jesus. But for all of us, oh God, as we work through this series, I pray that we would come out the other side of it a little bit different, a little bit more like you, Jesus, a little bit more driven, a little bit more motivated, a little bit more ambitious, not to chase after the things that this world offers us, but to chase after virtue, that the character of Christ would form in us and that out of that character would be a waterfall. Of good deeds as a legacy that we leave. In Jesus' name, come on, and everybody said, Amen.